So we hear the word reset. Now on your on your Wi-Fi and on your, your your electronical devices, you've got a reset. Now on my iPhone, I've got a hard reset that I can I can pull button, you know, push buttons and all sorts of stuff. And so it's it's this this kind of reset. You kind of got these bugs going on in your system, and you need a reset. And oftentimes in our lives, we can feel like we need a reset. Now, I even got a, a message from, from Dave Ramsey uh, this week called the, the Great Money Reset, your financial reset, to sign up for a webinar for you know, on Tuesday, Tuesday night. Coming up, there's a financial reset seminar on uh, Dave Ramsey, financial uh, university, Financial Peace University. And <laughs> can anyone else uh, feel that, that feeling of, we just need a reset. Can we get a, just a, get a reset? It's it's almost like I love that I saw this on Facebook this week. It's almost like 2020. I'm sorry, 2021 told 2020, hold my beer. Look at this. Watch what I can do. You know, you did this stuff, but watch what I can do. And so life, often we we need a reset from 2020, and already from what's already been happening in 2021, right? We just need a life reset. You know, there, there's there's talk going on about the Great Reset, you know, in our in our in our world, and um, which is scary to a lot of people. Um, but I think what, as we think about this this concept of resetting our lives, resetting um, our, our perspective, resetting our our peace, we're looking for hope. We're looking for answers to the questions that we have. You know, the question is like, you know, what's next? And, you know, how can things get worse? How can things get worse? Or how can I make things better? That's oftentimes the question we can ask. You know, for the doomsday, for the pessimists, it's what, what can get worse. For the optimists, it's how can I make things better? But I think for all of us, we are waiting for God to reset and restore all things to his shalom. That's ultimately our heart. That's ultimately our desire in this life, is to wait on God, is to hope in Him. So if you will, stand with me as we read, as we read of the great hope in Jesus Christ, the great hope of our Messiah, as we read from Luke chapter 2. And I'll be reading from the, from the CSB. And thanks to, thanks to my, my brother Cody, uh, who gave me this beautiful new CSB Bible. Uh, thank, thank you so much for to Cody and the table for, for this wonderful and incredibly generous present. Uh, and so, so excited to start reading and preaching from this Bible. So we're going to be in Luke <coughs> excuse me, chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 21. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as, in, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. 
when the, when, his, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be oppressed, be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the the redemption of, of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. You may be seated. So it's amazing to me to to look at this scripture passage and to see so many different elements. And 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 the, the word consolation kept coming to my mind looking for the, the consolation of Israel. And as we read, read in here in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 1, See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. It's amazing to me seeing this, this consolation, this, this restoration. They were hoping for this. They were waiting for the messenger. They were waiting for the covenant. They were waiting for these things that were coming, yearning and hoping and praying, seeking in the temple, yearning to be in God's presence because that was so much better than life elsewhere during the time of waiting. They were trying to spend as much time as they could with God. I mean, it's amazing to me as well because God's presence wasn't even in the temple. God's presence hadn't been in the temple for about 600 years. For the, you know, since the 6th century BC, God's presence had not been in the temple. It left during when the first temple was about to be destroyed. It was gone. God's special presence with his people was gone. And so Jesus comes in. They bring Jesus in as a baby, and God's presence enters the temple once again. Because for them, the Ark of the Covenant was the, the, the symbol of God's special presence with them. And God's, God's spirit resided on the, the Ark of the Covenant until he left in Malachi 10. And then the, when, when the, the temple in Jerusalem were destroyed, the Ark of the Covenant was taken away, and it never returned. And so even the temple that Jesus is is hanging out in as a baby 
and then comes and he preaches it. And then the apostles are preaching it later. The Ark of the Covenant is nowhere to be found because it's not there. God's presence is not there until Jesus. Until Jesus' presence comes in because they were waiting for God to reset and restore all things to his shalom. And this is the hope of Jesus. This is why this account is so incredibly powerful because it fulfills the prophecy that God's presence would indeed return the God that they were waiting on to reset and restore all things to his shalom was now back. He is here and he is restoring all things. You look at this, the the circumcision and presentation of Jesus. So it said they, um, excuse me, they were completed. Yeah, the eight days were completed for his circumcision. And then, uh, so this is basically 40 days after Jesus' birth. They bring him back. So he's about a month and a half old or so now. Uh, and so in the days of their purification, so um, Jesus, uh, sorry, uh, Mary came, of course, for the purification of childbirth. So 40 days after she gives birth to a child, she has to go to the temple and offer a lamb, offer a sheep. Or if they're poor, they offer a you know two two turtle, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, which they offered. It speaks to a few things. It speaks to a their poverty, that these weren't people of means. Um, but I, I love this also this other symbol as well that they brought the lamb for sacrifice, but he wouldn't be sacrificed for another thirty three years. And so they sacrificed two turtle doves for her purification, knowing you know I don't even think that they realized that they were bringing their own sacrifice of a lamb to God. And so Joseph came and he was bringing Jesus um, to dedicate him to the Lord and the ceremony that that is redeeming Jesus uh, for the Lord's service because every male male adult and every male, uh, I'm sorry, male adult, male child and every male dedicated to the Lord. Animals were sacrificed and uh, babies, you you know, firstborn males were given to the Lord's service. Um, there's a whole lot more to that, but we're, we're, well, that's in a whole other sermon. <laughs> but um, so then we look and, and see we've got um, this man, Simeon. There's this man in Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting. A lot of times I just assumed that it was a priest, but it, it doesn't say that anywhere here. And he wasn't even in the inner courts of, of the temple. This actually probably occurred in the outer court of the Gentiles or even the court of women because Mary is here. Mary is in this circumstance, and she's able to hear this, and he actually gives her a prophecy. Um, <clears throat> and so this man was, what does it say? Righteous and devout. Which goes back to the point we made earlier with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, that there were still a few devout and righteous people, a, what the Bible calls a remnant. So the ones that were still left worshiping God and they were devout because what is Jesus's uh, MO when he's walking around? He's kind of saying, hey, here's how you, you are terrible. Here's how you stink. Here's how you really you know, really dropped the ball. Here's how you are really mis- misinterpreting the faith. Basically, we see this large cast of Pharisees and scribes that didn't love God, and they were, yet, they were, they were trying to be faithful to God. And, and honestly, like, I think Pharisees sometimes get a bad rap you know, because Jesus was always correcting them. But remember that, that uh, what's, his, what's his face in the garden? Um, Nehemiah. 
Um, Nehemiah was coming and he was seeking after God. He was seeking after Jesus and asking questions. And so there were many Pharisees I, that, you know, that we see in Scripture that came and followed Jesus. Maybe under the, under the you know, cover of darkness, but there were several of the Pharisees and the scribes and probably some of the Sadducees and some of these religious rulers that would come to faith in Jesus, that would follow him. And a lot of these would later in the synagogues, the head of the synagogue, like in, in uh, I think it was, was a Corinth or in Ephesus, they would later come and follow God, you know, follow and believe Jesus. And so there were, but there was very few, there were few people in, in those days that worshiped God, that were faithful, that were righteous and devout. These were good people. These were, were people that, that were serving the Lord. And if there's one thing that we've seen, if, not, if nothing else from these first two chapters of Luke, is that God blesses those that are devout and faithful to him. We may not you know, do everything right. We may not get, get, it, get it right every time. We may still have stinking thinking. We may have you know, dumb old tapes that are playing in our minds with the wrong thing that we're just trying to break through and just like you know, right over those things with new habits and, and new understandings of who we are in Christ. But man, I tell you what, if you are devout and you are like, Lord, I am allegiant to you. I am faithful to you. No matter what you say, God, speak into my life, but I love you. You are my God. You are my Savior. You are the, my source of truth. You are the source of how I believe that I, I want to live this life. God will bless that. God will bless your efforts. God will bless your prayers. God will bless your reading of scripture. God will bless your one anothering, your community, the way that you serve and love and bear with one another, which we'll get to later. And what was he doing? Nine day, like Anna in the temple, he was waiting. He was looking forward to what? God. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. And this is this word I want. This is going to be the word that's going to basically kind of frame our morning, but we'll get back to back to it here in a little bit. But specifically, I want to want to kind of break it down. It means kind of three specific words: comfort, encouragement, or exhortation. It has this connotation, this consolation um, to it. Uh, so, and we'll get back to that in here in just a minute. So, just kind of put that in the back of your mind there. Um, and so, and this, what did it say? The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was on him. Now it's amazing in this passage. If you read this passage right here, uh, the, the verse 25 through 27, it mentions the Holy Spirit three times. It's like Luke doesn't want you to miss this. Hey, guys, don't miss this. Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit, yeah, remember the Holy Spirit? Yeah, the Holy Spirit led him. Yeah, the Holy Spirit like spoke to him and revealed him the Holy, same Holy Spirit. It's like he just repeats it over and over and over again. Like an, annoying, like an annoying toddler saying the same joke that he got one laugh at one time. And he keeps saying that same joke over and over again. You guys know what I'm talking about? Jackson's in that face. God bless him. <laughs> but, but Luke here doesn't want you to miss this. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is falling. This is what they've been waiting for. This is the first symbols and the, and the, the signs that the Messiah is here, that the consolation of Israel, of God's people, is here. That the reset and restoration of Shalom is coming. The kingdom is here because the Holy Spirit is being poured out, as it says in Joel 2. 
I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Simeon's part of that. It had been revealed to him by who? The Holy Spirit, that he would not see death. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when his parents brought the child, um, it's customary, Simeon took him up. Now, parents, this is kind of, this for me kind of sounds weird, sounded weird. I was like, okay, this, they're walking through the temple, and all of a sudden, this random dude out of nowhere, not even a priest, comes up and grabs my child. What do I do? <laughs> Maybe this guy was known. Maybe this, this, this gentleman was known as, as being spirit-led. This, there's this man that's in the temple that's hanging out that is wise because he loves the Lord. He is devout. And maybe he was known. I don't know. Maybe it was just part of the culture that, you know, they're, they're a fellow Israelite, and so they just wanted to bless my newborn baby. Maybe this was a typical custom, blessing your, your newborn child. Of, you know, bestowing a blessing upon you as parents and, on, and upon the child. Almost very, you know, similar to, you know, baby dedication ceremonies. Like when a newborn baby is born to the church, oftentimes the parents will come up on the stage and the pastor will pray over the baby and bless the baby and, and pray over the parents and, and bless the parents, right? It's like baby dedication. Oh, I could see that kind of this picture here. He's like, oh, master, you can dismiss your servant now. I've seen him. I've seen the restoration. I've seen your hope. I've seen your servant. I've seen your salvation. I love this, this picture because this is the essence of why Jesus came right here. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples, what? A light. And translators of the net actually say this is for both, for both these sentences. So a light, subtitle, for revelation to the Gentiles. And glory to your people, Israel. I love how he starts with a revelation to us, those who are non-Jewish 2,000 years later, a revelation to those who are outside even God's covenant people, those who are outside God's blessings. This child came, this Jesus came to bless you. This Jesus came to love you, to save you. To be a light to you, to be a revelation to you, to be hope to you, to be joy to you, to be purpose to you, to be a light to all of God's people, to be glory, to be epic, to be your epic. That is why Jesus came. And it continues on. You know, he, he, blessed, he turned and blessed his parents, like a baby, de baby dedication. He told them to marry. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the, rise and the, fall, uh, the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And that's basically the rest of the gospel, is Jesus being loved and being opposed. You know, those who are falling because of Jesus, who are stumbling because of the stumbling, you know, the, the stone, the cornerstone of God is becoming a stumbling stone to them or the cornerstone to those who he loves. He will be a rock of offense to those who he angers and upsets and offends, but a stone of glory, a stone of truth, hope, life. As Peter will later say, where else can we go? You're the one that has the words to eternal life. So he will become a, a rock, the cornerstone of the words of eternal life that we can we can we can we can bank on that 
you know, Gary can, you know, can build a house on that. It's that firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a sword will pierce your own soul. This can be looked at in a couple different ways, and maybe both. You know, A, this could be saying, guess what, Mary? In about 33 years, you're going to watch as your son is murdered in front of you, brutally killed and hung on a cross. You're going to watch, and you're going to be close and look into his eyes as he pays for the sins of the world. It also could mean that this is revealing to her her need. Even that, like standing at the foot of the cross and seeing her son being crucified and realizing, I'm thankful because he's paying for my sins as well. I need a savior. Yes, I gave birth to him by the grace of God, but I need his grace. This is the, the sword that will pierce your own soul. Now, all of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ have experienced that. Have experienced that, that sword that, that pierced our soul and broke open the gates of joy by covering our sins, letting us know of, of our need for a Savior and being able to look into his eyes and say, he's dying for me. He's my consolation. He is my reset and restoration for my life, for my direction, for my hope, for my situation, for my peace. Because he not only made peace in my life, but he made peace between me and God. And even if my circumstances are garbage, even if my circumstances around me fall apart, even if my upbringing was terrible and I had terrible parents, even if I've had wonderful parents, whatever horrible, horrendous thing happens to me throughout my life, been loved, been hated, been rejected, been oppressed, been judged, condemned, that Jesus brings peace, that Jesus brings peace, Love. Jesus brings consolation, encouragement to our spirits. And then we see the, the prophetess Anna, who was at least 103 years old. So she was, you know, she lived with her husband for seven years, but she was probably at least 12 years at the time. And then she lived 84 years after that. So she's like old. She's old. I don't know if you know, Elizabeth was around this, you know, old. She was old, 103. And she came. She was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, this same restoration, the same reset. And they completed everything according to the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, uh, to their own town of Nazareth. So they don't record, and Luke doesn't record their trip to Egypt uh, like Matthew does. So Matthew records that after they dedicated Jesus, they, they fled. They, they were awoken by, by the Holy Spirit and said, get out of town. Herod's about to do something horrendous. Go to Egypt. So they went to Egypt and stayed there for about, about two years and then went up north to, uh, to back to Nazareth. So this basically just kind of cuts out that whole story. Uh, but everything, everything was completed. 
then they returned to Galilee after their trip to Egypt. And the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. And we'll catch up to that, that short story here in a second. But I want to come back to that concept of consolation. I'm beginning to love this word. You know, like we have this word, um, like we have, a, we have an essential oil named after it. It's called console. We're in mourning. We're in stress. We're in anxiety. We're in, you know, um, you know hurt or whatever it is. And so you put this oil in or you can put, put this oil on and it helps your emotions, right? But this, this consolation is this comforting. It's this encouragement. It's this exhortation. This not only just like this comforting of your spirit and of your fears and of your um, and of your pain, but also a kick in the tushy to get your butt in the gear. Because oftentimes, I think we can have this victim mentality, like, oh, woe is me. This bad thing happened, therefore I can go and do a bunch of dumb, stupid stuff because I was hurt. And oftentimes, we ruin our lives more as a response to the abuse. We ruin our lives more by giving ourselves justification to sit in our in the bad feelings, in the almost like the self-righteous indignation. Like you hurt me, therefore I can do fill in the blank. But consolation is this comfort and this get in, back into the game. Like when I was a kid, when I was, uh, I think it was, I was probably 18, I think at the time. So I wrecked my car. I was, I was driving on, uh, on the freeway going about 80 miles an hour and went on, you know, on this turn and this overpass thing and it didn't say it to slow down. And so I was like, oh, cool. It's, it's one of those curves that I can continue going 80 miles an hour. The sign apparently got uh, knocked off that said uh, 55 miles an hour, I think it was, or 50 miles an hour. So I slammed to the wall at 80 miles an hour and knocked off the wheel and came over here and hit this wall over here. There's about a 200 foot drop to the to the freeway below. I was very thankful for those walls, and I was scared to death. And so I didn't want to drive. But my dad came around me and he said, "No, it's okay. It's okay, Alan. You'll be okay. You're you're fine. That your passengers are fine." Oddly enough, I had uh, Dave Matthews Band Crash playing at the time in my CD player. <laughs> But God, my dad was saying, no, you're fine. God protected you. You're fine. The car's fine. We have insurance. The car's totaled, but you're fine. That's all that matters. Even though I was really, I loved that car. But then we went to a trip, went on a trip to Fresno. And I was like, I don't want, I don't want to drive. He's like, no, you get your butt behind the, the steering wheel and you drive. I, like, I don't want to. I just did this. I just landed the wall last week. I just, I don't He's like, no, you got this. Get your butt in the gear. Get back in the game. And I'm so thankful he did because I'm driving today still. <laughs> so, um, but that's the kind of consolation we're talking about. This comforting, this encouragement, and this exhortation, this get into the game, get back into the game. So our, 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 our faith and our consolation in this life isn't about just like escapism. Like things are going terrible. Things are going wrong. There's so much violence and so much hate and so much division. I'm just going to go and escape over here and just sit in God's comfort and God's, God's encouragement. 
It's God is saying, no, get your butt back into the game. Bring my hope, bring my peace, bring my love back to the world, back to people who are also in that same place of anger and strife and hurt and worry. Bring God's hope, bring the gospel of hope and joy back to the world. You are my light in this world. What do you say? A light. Jesus was the light to all nations. And he says, let your light shine. Let your light shine be declared to the world. And what is our light? Jesus. The hope of the gospel, the hope of our consolation. Now, for them, you know, there was this, you know, as we know from, you know, from, we've read this in the past, like, you know, this political unrest, this, um, this religious division um, in, in, their, in their world. So, I mean, even if you look at uh, oh, yeah, there's those three words. Uh, if you look at the division of their of their religious sects, you got the Pharisees. Oh, the Pharisees? That's weird. Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and the Essenes. So these are four religious sects in, in, the, in the Jewish world. So the Pharisees were, the, were the, the staunch religious. They were the ones that believed the entire Old Testament. They're like, we're, we got to follow the law to the letter, and not only the law, but the Talmud and the Mishnah that were all basically like this fence that were written, uh, these rules and regulations around the law so that we wouldn't even break the law. But the Mishnah and the Talmud caused the people to break the law. And so we have this very strict sect of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees. <laughs> the Pharisees, yeah, Pharisees, yeah. Sorry, I misspelled that. Anyway. And then, but then have the Sadducees. So the Sadducees only believed the first five of the New Testament, or the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Torah. They didn't believe anything else in the Bible. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. They were strictly law. And these are the ones that were in the temple doing all the temple uh, services uh, and, and scripture readings. This was the ones who ran the temple, the, the, the chief priests. Uh, that's why it says the chief priests and Pharisees. They were, you know, gathering together because they were separate. But also the Sadducees, these Sadducees were directly tied and had allegiance to the Roman Empire. So they were strictly, the, you know, kind of, kind of nominal Christian, not Christian, nominal Jew, but also very connected politically and economically to the Roman Empire because they were very wealthy because of them. And so then you've got the zealots who were the, basically like the Pharisees on crack. <laughs> and so they would actually like be hiding up in the caves in between Jerusalem and Galilee, and they would rob their own people to get their stuff so that they could fight the Romans. So they were the militaristic ones, like Barabbas, this insurrectionist. He would rise up the Jewish people, rise up other zealots, and try to stir up an insurrection and take over Jerusalem. And they had this happen several times. And the Romans always squished them back, always push them back, always push them back. But the zealots were very, you know, harsh and, and militant, um, you know, far-right movement. Uh, and then we have the Essenes, which were very, a very strict, um, it was, it was, they, were, they were in this town called Qumran, down by the, down by the Dead Sea. And they actually copied and translated the, the Hebrew scriptures for in the temple and the synagogues. So if you had a, a, you know, a scroll of the, of the Old Testament in those days, it was probably written by the Essenes, copied down by the Essenes. We, they were so divided. But it's amazing to me that Jesus recruits 
guys from each one of these to be his disciples. He mixes people from all socioeconomic and political sides, from far left to moderate left to moderate right to far right. He brings them together and says, guess what? There's no such thing as any other governance outside of me. There's no kingdom outside of me. So you might have these certain persuasions, like, you know, Simon the Zealot, right? And after a while, they dropped the Zealot because he was Simon of Jesus, Peter of Jesus, knowing that he was a disciple of Jesus. But there was so much turmoil in these days, so much you know, political unrest and religious division. There were one nation radically and violently divided. And we can't understand that today, can we at all? No. Unless you haven't been watching the news or scrolling social media. Which, I just deleted my apps, thank the Lord. My, my, my heart has been so much healthier this week after not looking at the news. <laughs> after Wednesday. But we can understand that we can feel this. You know, because they all thought, you know, all of the disciples, they thought that the Messiah would be this political figure would be a, a politician or a new priest or a new zealot that would rise up from the ranks and lead everyone to a political economic insurrection to take over the, the ruling political structures. And they viewed, the, their, you know, they viewed their faith through this nationalistic filter. But it's amazing when, when Simon says this, he, he's going to be rejected be rejected by many because Jesus doesn't side with any political sphere. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not a constitutionist. He's not a libertarian. He's not even an independent. He is otherworldly. He calls all people to his side. It's like, you know, we got these people over here and saying, Jesus, which side are you on? Jesus, which side are you on? People on both sides saying, I can't believe that you'd be a Democrat and call yourself a Christian. I can't believe you'd call yourself a Republican and be a Christian. And Jesus is back here saying, I can't believe that either of you would call yourselves Christians. Come to my side, my kingdom, my people, my gospel, my faith, my people. Calling all people to himself. And this is oftentimes why he was rejected. Because he wouldn't side on either side, politically, economically, or even religiously. Jesus brings unity in the Holy Spirit. Jesus brings that. In him, there's no division. Like, like we're going to read here. Let's, let's read in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 through 6. Whoop. Therefore, I, the prison or prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. 
And skipping on to uh, 5, chapter uh, verse 6. <clears throat> Let no one deceive you with empty, with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay attention, pay careful attention then, how you walk, how you live. Not as unwise, foolish people, but as wise, making the most use of the time, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Live in faith. Live in unity. Like I said, he's not calling the church to be unified. He's telling you, hey, guess what? You're unified in my Holy Spirit. You are together, one Lord, one baptism, one Father and, and Savior of all. You are, that. this is your existence. This is your identity. Believe it. Remember it. Walk in it. Be my kingdom. Be the light to the world. And so we, what do we do? We pray for the consolation of the church. Comfort, encouragement, and exhortation. I love this. Comfort for our fears and anxieties. We got them. It's so easy to watch the news in fear and anxiety because of all the violence and the discord and the division in our country. Encouragement to believe our identity in Christ. Pray for God to encourage you. Encourage us to believe in your identity. Believe in our identity as unified, brought together in Christ. And there's, that, there, there's a kick in the shorts. The exhortation to live holy and godly lives in this evil generation. Y'all, if I, if I could pinpoint an evil generation, this is it. Remember that word evil, anything that leads to vanity or destruction. And there's so much vanity and destruction all around us. Every day, that's wanting to pull us in, to suck us in. But what did he say? Let no one deceive you with their empty arguments, with their articles, with their journals, with their Facebook posts or Twitters. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words and lies and stupidity. Believe the truth. God's wrath is coming on them, on the disobedient, on the ones that distort truth. Don't become their partners. You were once one of them. You were once following that same pattern of darkness, but now you are light. Pray for the consolation of us, of you, of God's people, those he loves. As we look forward to God's ultimate consolation. 
Then he, Jesus, said to me, Don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let the unrighteous, let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let them do what they want. Let the filthy, pff, leave, them, leave them to their filthiness. Let the righteous, though, go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Skipping on to verse 20. Oh, this is 17. Both the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. He who testifies about these things, Jesus says, Yes. I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. So if you hear this morning, hear those words. Hear those words of truth. That we too are waiting for God to reset and restore all things to his shalom, his perspective of flourishing, his perspective of peace. Is our hope political? Nope. Is our political economical? Nope. Is our political social, like some social socialist government or some social justice warriors? Nope. Is our hope even religious? Are practicing and doing things right and doing things perfectly and and doing all these things according you know, to our strict legalistic, you got to do this, you got to do that. You can't do this, you can't do that. No. Our hope is in the grace of God. It's in the love of God that says, I died for you on the cross and rose from the grave so that if you believe in me, if you pledge your allegiance to me, You'll be in my kingdom. I will be in you. My Holy Spirit will be poured out into your heart. I will forgive all of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you just believe. Place your faith in me and proclaim that by being baptized. I want to, I want to put that out there. If you want to come to faith in Jesus, if you're curious, we'd love to have a conversation. I'd love to sit down with you and talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel, talk about the cross that we, that we observe and the, and the empty tomb and how you can place your faith in him. So if you want to know how you can place your faith in Jesus and know that you have this hope, know that you have this peace, know that you have eternal life with God, please come and talk to me. We'll pray together. And I'll show you how to, how to have that saving faith. He says, wash your robes, keep his commands. And what are his commands? Love one another. Love. 
is Jesus' command. Be holy. Now here's the thing. You are holy. You are holy. Be who you truly are. Discover who you truly are. Holy and blameless and pure. As we patiently wait for God to reset and restore all things to his shalom. Waiting for his great consolation. The restoration of his hope. God, we thank you for your restoration. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your peace. And God, I pray this morning that we would feel, God, that your hope would fall upon us, that your spirit would stir in our spirits powerfully. God, that you would bring people to faith in this this Jesus that we love and that we are filled with, God. That you would use us to be your light in this world, to bring the hope of the gospel to others. That we would see daily those who are being saved, Lord, you bringing them to us. And us being able to baptize them and celebrate in joy because that's what the kingdom of God's all about. Restoration, consolation, comfort, encouragement, and exhortation. God, let us walk by your spirit. Let us walk in your victory that you accomplished on the cross as we echo those words of revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.